Philippians chapter 1. There's a, a lot that can be said in this chapter, but beginning with verse number 12 and read down through verse number 18. <clears throat> now, I don't propose to know everything there is to know about this section of verses and understanding everything here, but I just found it to be uh, a fascinating passage of Scripture as we're um, given an opportunity. I think here Paul opens his heart and lets us know and understanding the things that he was going through. And um, so I hope that maybe this might be an encouragement to you. But let's begin with verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 1. And he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of, of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Now, I think it's comforting to know that God is in complete charge of our lives from beginning to end and every step in between. And I think the spiritual principle that's found in Psalm 37 and verse 23 where it says it's very true for the believer uh, when it says that, every, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And as we understand, there's not a single step that we take in life which is not a part of God's uh, loving and carefully constructed plan for our life. And God has never made a mistake, and He's not going to start making any with your life or with mine. But God's Word makes it clear that trouble in this life is certain to come, and believers in the Lord are not exempt from common problems and difficulties that most people face in life. However, beyond and above, above and beyond that, God's people do face persecution and hostility for their faith from a world that is adamantly opposed to God and the things of God. But God can use even the most difficult trials for our good and for His glory. And so no New Testament believer understood that truth any better than the Apostle Paul did. He was an example. An example whose joy seemed to never falter or waver despite his circumstances that were often difficult, unpleasant, painful, and even life-threatening. But true joy is not based upon one's circumstances in life. I'll say that again because that's hard to, easy to preach, but it's hard to practice. But true joy is not based upon one's circumstances in life. It is based upon one's trust 
in the Lord. Now, that was certainly true in Paul's life. Paul certainly went through his share of trouble. He experienced sorrow and tears. He suffered grief and disappointment. He endured persecution and distress, and yet there never seems to be a time in his life when he would allow his present circumstance at that particular moment of time to diminish his joy. And Paul resisted anything that threatened to come between him and his fellowship with the Lord and his trust in the Lord. So by the time that he wrote this letter to the believers at Philippi, if you remember, Paul had already experienced serious hardships of of every kind imaginable. And at the time of the writing of this letter, he was a prisoner in the city of Rome. And he had desired, uh, had long desired to preach in this great city. Remember when he was at the city of Corinth, he wrote these words in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, so as much as in me is, he says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So Paul was convinced of the importance of bringing the gospel to this stronghold of paganism. Uh, Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. It was the key city of its day. And Paul believed that he could use the city of Rome basically as what we would say as a springboard to reach thousands and possibly millions of people with the message of God's salvation. So Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. But instead, he ended up going there as a prisoner. Now... He was chained night and day to a Roman soldier. Uh, He had no privacy. He didn't have any privacy when he ate. He didn't have any privacy when he slept, when he wrote, when he prayed, when he visited with friends. And yet for a period of two years, this very lack of privacy made it impossible for the Roman soldiers guarding him to avoid hearing the gospel and seeing Christ made manifest through Paul's witness and his testimony. And this this constant exposure to the gospel, I believe, led some of these guards to salvation. And it was in this that Paul rejoiced. He was thankful for the ministry uh, to which the Lord had called him. He was thankful for the spread of the gospel and the spiritual fruit that this ministry had produced even while he was in chains. And so Paul's dire circumstances had caused his faith to grow and his ministry for the Lord to flourish. And so his dire circumstances had caused God's almighty power and his sustaining, saving grace to be magnified. Somebody once said this, and I believe it is true, that problems are opportunities in work clothes. Problems are opportunities in work clothes. And the Apostle Paul, what did he do? He saw his situation as an opportunity to do a work for God in the preaching of of the gospel. But in these verses that we just read, verse 12 through verse 18, Paul, what he does here, he related to his readers how that the gospel was spreading. The gospel was spreading. Paul had obviously one supreme purpose in life, and that was to spread the gospel as far and as fast as he possibly could. Nothing else really mattered to him. And so, you remember, after his salvation experience on the Damascus Road, God's calling on his life was to be a preacher, to be a witness for the Lord among all men. Now, 
Paul's sole goal in life was to make Christ known. So in this section, Paul mentions, I find it interesting that he, find, that he mentions two ways, two ways in which the gospel was being spread. He said, number one, it's being spread by his chains. And number two, the gospel was being spread by his critics. And so notice in this verses, verse 12 through verse 14, he says that the gospel was being spread by means of his chains. Well, what did he mean? Well, notice beginning with verse 12, Paul begins that verse by making sure that his readers of this letter understood that despite his dismal circumstances, he was not bitter, he was not discouraged, but instead he had a great reason to rejoice, and that is the gospel was being spread far and wide. Now, by the time Paul wrote this letter, as I said, he had experienced serious hardships of every kind imaginable. But notice the phrase there. It's just one little phrase, but yet it means so much. He said in verse 12, he says, the things which happened unto me. I mean, he didn't go in great detail. He didn't need to. But he mentions to his readers, there have been some things which have happened unto me. Well, what is he talking about? This was nothing more than a brief summary of the things that actually occurred to him that's recorded beginning with Acts chapter 21, going all the way to the end of the book, from chapter 21 to chapters 28. And it all started with Paul's illegal arrest, if you remember, in the temple at Jerusalem when he was falsely accused by the Jews of supposedly desecrating their temple, they said, by bringing a Gentile in it. And so on three separate occasions in that situation, the chief captain of all people, the chief captain of the Roman army had to come to Paul's rescue as the Jews attempted to murder him. So he was held as a prisoner, we know from the book of Acts, in the city of Caesarea for two years. And when he finally made his appeal to have his case heard by Caesar himself, he was finally sent to Rome. But guess what happened? On the way to Rome, on the way, what happened? Paul's ship that he was traveling on, got caught in a storm, and he ended up being shipwrecked on an island for three months. And he was able to eventually board another ship, and he finally made it to the city of Rome. Kind of sounds like my morning this morning. When I got up this morning, Jackson had a fever. Well, I didn't have any medicine. So I drove to Walgreens. They were closed. Drove to the dollar store. They were closed. Went down to Walmart. They had the medicine. Then I get the medicine back. I'd already poured my coffee there. And when I got back, my coffee was cold. By the way, Brother Bob, that microwave doesn't work. So I wasn't able to warm up my coffee. So as I'm opening the medicine bottle, I, was, I looked at it. And I thought, oh, you got to be kidding. Because it had a little top on it. It has a hole that you put the syringe in. Well, the syringe that Cheryl gave me is too big to fit into that top. So what did I have to do? I had to get my pocket knife out. I had to dig that sucker out and try and try to dig it out so I could pour the medicine, give him the medicine. And then... I thought, well, maybe this is going to be a wonderful day. And so it just went on and on. I'm, I'm drawing a blank because I had all these things written down I was going to tell you about, but I forgot my list. But anyways, <laughs> but looking at this from a human perspective, what happened here? 
Many would consider all of this as a total disaster and failure and disappointment for Paul, but not for the Apostle Paul. He looked upon all this as a great opportunity for others to hear the gospel. But notice the phrase there in verse 12. He talks about the furtherance of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. Oh yeah, and I burned my bagels when I had my bagels in the toaster. So I couldn't eat my bagels, I couldn't drink my coffee. Anyways, that's okay. What is that phrase there? The furtherance of the gospel. That's what he was concerned about. What does that word furtherance mean? It means the the progress, the the advancement. Actually, that word is an interesting word. It was used to describe of moving ahead against all obstacles. And so the word was used to describe basically a team of men that would be hacking out a path for an advancing army. And they would cut out this path through dense trees and underbrush, moving ahead slowly with considerable effort. So what did Paul say? He looked upon his circumstances as being used by the Lord to do what? To open up new ways, new areas of ministry for the gospel. And during his years of ministry, Paul faced severe resistance and opposition. He faced and encountered numerous adversaries and opponents to the gospel ministry. And yet he never complained about his hardships. He looked upon his chains as what? As a small price to pay because the Lord had used his difficult circumstances as a means of what? Feathering the spread of the gospel. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 9. He says, Wherefore? Wherein, excuse me, I suffer trouble, he says, as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But, he says, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, he says, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Why? That they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul sincerely believed that his chains were divinely planned. Uh, Somebody once said, Paul didn't find didn't find his joy in ideal circumstances. He found his joy by pointing others to Christ. And if his circumstances promoted the furtherance of the gospel, then that was all that mattered to him the most. And Paul believed God was in full control of his circumstances. He knew that nothing happened by chance. And Paul believed in the sovereign providence of God who was able to guide and to control all circumstances of life to accomplish his purpose and his will. So Paul didn't complain about his chains. Instead, he consecrated them basically to God with the hopes that what? That God would use his chains uh, for his glory and for his honor. And that's exactly what happened. So Paul's chains were not only divinely planned, but I believe they were also distinctly productive And they were productive in two ways. And he mentions that in verse 13 and in verse 14. Number one, in verse 13, Paul's chains gave him contact with the lost. In verse 14, Paul's chains gave courage to the saved. But look at verse number 12, verse 13. My bonds, he says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Now, remember, Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, making both escape and privacy impossible. He was chained to a series of soldiers for a period of two years. And the guard shifts changed every six hours. Okay, 
which meant that Paul could give a gospel witness to at least four men each day. And over those two years, it is probable that several dozen different soldiers were assigned to guard Paul, and each one becoming his uh, captive audience, we would say. You see, Paul's attitude to the whole situation was not that he was chained to a Roman guard, but that the Roman guard was chained to him. And so for months on end, for long hours at a time, the guards were forced into his company and they came under the influence of the gospel as they watched him and as they heard him preach the gospel. But you notice he used this word palace in verse number 13. In all the palace. Well, that word palace, by the way, is translated as judgment hall in other places in your New Testament. Judgment hall. In the Gospels, this was a reference to the governor's uh, courtroom, his official residence. And so what Paul is saying here is that his Gospel witness had reached members of Caesar's own household. And that's an amazing thing. And you go and and fast forward in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, he says to the saints at Philippi, he says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Of Caesar's household. What this shows us is that God did indeed use Paul's chains to further the gospel. Paul was able to reach people with the gospel in places where he could not have done had he been a free man, you see. And so that's the way that he was looking at that. So Paul's chains gave him contact with the lost. Paul's chains gave courage to the saved. According to verse number 14, what happened? He says, many other brethren were what? Waxing confident. He says, by my bonds. So the example of Paul's courage and faithfulness during his imprisonment caused many of the believers in the city of Rome to be motivated, to be inspired, to be encouraged. To do what? To speak up and to speak out to others with the message of the gospel. And I think the implication of this verse is that there were many professing believers who were afraid or at the very least reluctant Reluctant to openly share their faith with others. Hostility to the gospel was growing during this time period. And not only were the Jewish leaders intensifying their opposition and persecution, but pagans also began to see Christianity as a threat, both to their religion and to their livelihood. So we would say this, and this is not to talked down to them, but boldness among the brethren was in short supply at that particular time. But the Lord did what? (coughs) Excuse me. The Lord used, I believe, Paul's example of faith and determination, his his, uh, perseverance and his confidence to inspire and to motivate others to be a bold and daring witness for the Lord. And as the believers witnessed, how God blessed and used Paul despite his persecution, despite his imprisonment, their courage, I believe, was renewed and their boldness and their zeal for the Lord was made stronger. Now, one writer said that Paul's boldness in his bonds, his 
transparent sincerity and his tireless efforts and his infectious enthusiasm dissolved the caution of his Roman brethren and rekindled their commitment. Now, you have to understand, those people paid a price for being a testimony and a witness for the Lord. We haven't gotten to that point yet in this country, but we're moving awful fast in that direction, where it's going to cost us something just to show up for church on Sunday, if we're even going to be allowed to do that. And so what, this, was, this was a big deal in Paul's day. So Paul's circumstances were beyond most people's ability to comprehend. And yet, he was a model of joy, of contentment, of peace. Those inner qualities were obviously not based upon his physical comfort or his personal possessions. They were based entirely on his trust in a gracious and a sovereign God who was pleased to use his chains, use his circumstances in the furtherance of the gospel. But I said at the very beginning, there were two ways in which the gospel was being spread. It was being spread by means of his chains, and then it was being spread by means of his critics. Now, this is the part I don't understand. All there is to know about what he's saying here. But let's, let's give it a try. All right, let's look at it. Verses 15 to verse 18. Now, he mentions something here that some were preaching Christ in Rome and maybe other places, but they were doing it of envy and of strife. There were some that were preaching Christ, he says, of goodwill. He says one was preaching Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Now, to me, it's hard to believe that anyone would oppose the Apostle Paul. But... There were believers in Rome that were doing just that. And, and like, like the Lord, during his earthly ministry, Paul had his shares of enemies. He had his share of enemies, and most of them were from the Jewish religious community. But some of Paul's fiercest, meanest critics came from those within the New Testament churches of the Lord. Now, as a pastor and as a preacher uh, for going on now 43 years, I've always said that some of the meanest people I've ever met have been church members. That's sad, but it's true. And with Paul, that was what he was facing. One of the most discouraging experiences for a servant of God is that of being falsely accused by fellow believers and to be slandered by an unbeliever is to be, that's to be expected. But to be slandered by a professing Christian, you don't expect that. And you know the pain runs very deep when one's ministry is unfairly misrepresented and is unjustly criticized by fellow believers. When every time I'd go home to Lubbock, my home church, uh, my pastor, Brother E.L. Bynum, uh, when we would come and visit, you know, just a lot of times it was just out of common courtesy that the pastor would recognize somebody that was visiting there in the services. Do you know the whole time that Brother Bynum, after I left the church 
and I was there and would go back and visit and visit because my folks were there and Cheryl's folks lived there and all that and they went to church and he never recognized me as, as Pastor Dean. He would never use that word in front of my name. He, he took it very um, personally when I left Tabernacle and I became a pastor of a church in Arkansas. That hurt me that my pastor wouldn't recognize me as being a pastor. I never could understand that. And maybe someday I will. But, you know, then in a lot of the times he would even, you know, usually you would call on the visiting preacher to call on him to pray. He would never do that either. I thought, well, okay. Well, I, I can only imagine what hurt was going into the heart of Paul when he knew about and heard about what was going on in Rome. And that pain hurts, uh, and, and that's precisely the situation that Paul faced here in Rome where, where there were some of the spiritual leaders that were out of spite and in opposition to Paul. They were preaching Christ, he says, with unscriptural motives, uh, with ungodly attitudes. And the mention of Christ being preached, he said in verse 15, with envy and with strife, That was a reference to those, I think, who were attempting to serve the Lord with a spirit of jealousy and resentment. And just exactly what was being said about Paul in order to hurt him or to ruin his reputation is not revealed here in this text. Paul doesn't go into detail and tell us what was being said. But Paul's purpose in doing that was what? To have a pity party? No, sir. Paul's purpose in pointing this out as to what was being done was not to gain sympathy for himself, but to simply give an accurate account of the situation. He wanted to make the point, I believe, to his readers that service in the Lord's work includes right motives as well as right doctrine. And in verse 16 he says that there were those that were preaching out of contention. That word is a similar word that's related to strife, and it carries the idea of of competition. There's a sense of hostility, of conflict, of, of some kind of a factitious rivalry. And there were those preachers who were jealous of Paul. They were envious of the Lord's blessing upon his life and ministry, and they were resentful of his influence, evidently, upon the brethren at Rome. And while there were those preaching from an insincere motive, he says there were also others who were preaching Christ of goodwill, he said in verse 15. Preaching Christ, he said in verse 17, out of a heart of love. In other words, there were those preachers who were preaching Christ not in order to fulfill their own selfish ambition, to make a name for themselves. No, sir. There were those... Thank the Lord for those that were preaching in order to exalt, to glorify, to honor the Savior. And to preach Christ, to preach the gospel out of goodwill was to preach with a sincere desire to help others, to to see men saved by the grace of God. And so if you go back and read very carefully in verse number 18, it indicates that even though Paul did not approve of their selfish motives of his critics who were preaching out of, and use the word pretense. That's an interesting word. They were preaching out of pretense. What does that word mean? It means there's nothing more than outward showing. Just outward showing. Even though they were preaching out of pretense, he did rejoice in the fact 
that the gospel was being preached. So what does that mean? That means Paul believed in a sovereign God who uses the preaching of his word to accomplish his purpose as he sees fit. And so Isaiah 55, 11 is right, isn't it? Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it shall, not maybe, but it shall accomplish that which I please, the Lord says. And it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. Now, if God so chooses, He can bless the preaching of a preacher to bring, glorify, to bring glory to Himself, even if that preacher is envious, jealous, selfish, just as long as his message is true to the Word of God. But Paul's focus here was not upon the messenger. Paul's focus was upon the message. The message. And even though there were some that were preaching for the wrong reasons, Paul could still rejoice. Why? Because Christ, he says, was being preached. Christ is being preached. So instead of being discouraged, Paul rejoiced. He rejoiced that the true gospel was being spread. As I said at the very beginning, Paul was a man with a single purpose in life, and that was to preach Christ and Him crucified. And he would allow nothing to steal his joy, and neither the painful chains of Rome nor the painful criticism of fellow servants of the Lord could keep him from rejoicing just as long as Christ was being preached. So whenever, wherever, by whomever Christ is, was exalted and his gospel was preached, all that Paul could say was, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me close with this uh, quotation. And uh, I'm not sure. It may have been from David Jeremiah. I'm not sure, but I, I forgot to write who wrote this quote. I wrote the quote down, but this is what he says here about what was going on in Paul's life. He says, Paul's example of selfless humility shows us that the worse the circumstances are, the greater joy there can be when the seemingly secure things in life begin to collapse, when suffering when suffering and sorrow increase, it is then that believers should be drawn into an ever deeper fellowship with the Lord. It is then that the believer will most fully experience the enduring joy that the Apostle Paul knew so well. And this joy is far greater, more satisfying than any fleeting circumstantial happiness. And this joy comes not because of circumstances, but in spite of them, as we trust in a sovereign God to work out all things for our good and for His glory. My desire is this morning that we would have a, a renewed interest uh, in ourselves in the sense that we would be used as a vessel of the Lord and wherever He puts us and however He sees fit, wherever He wants us to be, that we would be faithful to be the ones to spread the gospel. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our problems, regardless of what's going on in our life, we should have that on the front of our, of our brain 
Just as it was in the life of Paul, he says, I want to make sure that the gospel is being furthered. I want to make sure that Christ is being preached. That's all I care about. That's all that we should care about. That Christ would be, that the Lord would be willing to use our lives in that way for the furtherance of the gospel. Any questions? Any comments? Any criticisms? All right. Well, thank you all for being here. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this testimony that we have concerning the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we see.